Hey, party people. Thanks for downloading our podcast. You can check out our other episodes at thisamericanhorrorstory.com. Hello, and welcome to This American Horror Story, an unofficial podcast about the FX show American Horror Story. Mm. I am your host, Tyler Moss, here with my co-host, Christopher Husted. Chris, say hi. What's up, party people? We are here tonight to discuss episode two of season two. Season two named Asylum. Um... Before we go in, of course, we are going to raise a toast to the second episode, as we normally do, I guess, now. Tyler, right, Tyler, what are you drinking tonight? I am drinking bourbon and cider as it is fall, and that is my festive drink of choice. What are you drinking tonight? Excellent. I have bourbon on the rocks as well, wild turkey to be specific. Oh, I've got Maker's Mark, so I think that's... Uh, I want up to you a little bit. <laughs> Great way to start. Okay. Cheers. Cheers to that. Now, one thing I wanted to say before we really dive into this is that I think that it would be um, smart for us to remove our clean tag from iTunes because there is it is very quickly <laughs> going to get to the point where we're not going to be able to talk about this show without getting a little bit down and dirty. So I think that was a mistake on my part about putting that in our code initially. And just be aware, listeners, that that will be removed very soon. <laughs> I agree. When I went to look at it and uh, knowing the first topic we talked about was sex, (laughs) I realized this is probably not accurate. (laughs) So just know that going forward. Um, So let's dive in. Uh, Okay. So first impressions of the episode now, just to let our readers in on the situation here, you came in and ended up having to watch the last 10 minutes of the episode first because you arrived home late and then dove into the beginning of the episode, which, you know, immediately followed the premiere. So you kind of watched the ending first and then the beginning. Now, did you have any different sort of impressions watching it that way? What were your thoughts? Totally. When I first showed up to the episode was the last 10 minutes of the of the episode. And what I saw was who I assumed was Sister Eunice, I believe, the younger nun, uh, being told to take off her panties by <laughs> by the doctor. And it in like after having watched the episode fully again, I realized it was not her. So <laughs> I was shocked to see what was happening on top of that. When I saw her in bed, when the doctor shows up to talk to her, I was like, what is she doing? Like, what young nun would ever let any male see her in that in that type of uh, of garb or lack of garb? Excuse me. (laughs) And I so shocked. Yes. Well, I think we certainly uh, you certainly found out the reason for that um, in the episode. So my thoughts diving into this episode. Do you want to start from the top, or do you want to start from themes? Let's go ahead and start from the top, but we'll kind of discuss the themes as we go through. So, a major theme first being, we start again in the present, the point of which I have, I still have no idea what the fuck we are focusing on. No clue. Because, because, Adam Levine is hacked to death by Bloody Face. I think we can pretty much say for certain that he is dead. I think, can we agree on that? He's he's dead and gone. I don't know. He did not have the voice. 
I do not know if that means he will be a corpse in future episodes or what exactly. Maybe Bloodyface will wear his face and that's how he will continue to cameo. But from what I can tell, he is no longer going to exist as a character. Would you agree with that? I agree with that. I, I, I'm like 95% sure that he is dead and off the show. I would say the same, and so I think we can say that Adam Levine's uh, foray into acting will be judged singularly on that first episode. Right. Um, I'm, I'm just going to say, if I was being hacked or stabbed to death in my chest with no arm and a gag in my mouth... I probably be, I probably would be wincing a little bit more and be really hurt in hurt, in pain. I mean, maybe he was passed out or delusional. Who knows exactly what was going on? But um, right. But our our a little heroine, our a little uh, horror freak heroine, is still alive. Yeah, yeah, she is. And I did. I mean, clearly for the present day, they use a different sort of camera filter and different sorts of shots. It was very choppy, all sorts of different angles. We had kind of a sepia tone feel where the colors were a little bit distorted and stuff like that. I mean, I thought that was I don't know why we're still I don't know why we're still in the present. I'm just I'm very perplexed by that. I'm assuming it's uh, my guess is that it's going to have to be something like Uh we learn. Are you can you hear me? Can you hear me? Yeah. Okay. We're good. We're back, and we're back, <laughs> and we're back. <sighs> okay. Future tense people at? talk. <clears throat> I assume that, it, that if the only reason they would include that part is that it's got to be something about like why Bloody Face is still there, right? Otherwise, that whole present day stuff is completely pointless. And so, I guess we'll learn the connection as we go on. But I think we kind of have some sort of hunch who Bloody Face is now. So let's dive right into the rest of the show. We go let's from the it. present back into the 60s where we see um, Lana, the journalist's girlfriend, the teacher who had turned her in, being comforted by all. her friends. Yes. And you had guessed that we would see her again. Little did we know that when we see her again, she would be dying so quickly. So, Or did she? That is so unanswered to me. That is unanswered. I'm going to guess yes, but we will see. Right. We definitely had a little bit of an homage to Psycho there where she's in the shower and you kind of think that she's going to get slashed, but then they throw you because she doesn't get slashed in the shower. She gets slashed right outside the shower. So that was nice. Right. Right. That was definitely, you're right. That was a very Hitchcockian moment. Uh, whenever I see the the water turn on and the water starts to come out of a spigot, I automatically go to Psycho. Exactly. And so I guess what we're supposed to learn from this scene is that maybe, I mean, Kid is not bloody face clearly because unless he's has like a, you know, alternate personality disorder and somehow knows an escape route that he clearly is not aware of in his normal state, um, that must be someone else, right? Right. Who looks, and the bloody face looked exactly like the one in the present tense. Exactly. So bloody face is able to travel time somehow. <laughs> Is what we've concluded. I'm sure we'll talk more about time travel as the that tricky mother effort goes on. But she is uh, what we assume to be slashed to death, um, another victim of Bloody Face, and we right. jump into the asylum again, right. where we open on Lana uh, having her room searched by the personnel who somehow find out that she's been taking secret notes about the um, asylum because she is going to write some huge expose. When she escapes, she thinks, and has these confiscated, of course. Um, and so she makes some smart-ass remark about how she has a really good memory, and pays for it pretty dearly. When we get a very gruesome electroshock 
scene. Um, Sister Jude ends up going to her, what we thought was her arch nemesis, Dr. Arden, and they work together to electroshock and Lana. cohorting with him. Yeah, and she looks a little resistant at first, but goes ahead and puts little things up to her temples, and uh, that was a little bit graphic, I would have to say. I mean, I think so too. It was a little disturbing to watch. Obviously, I mean, it's like watching torture, right. I guess. But well, I wrote this down. Um, Sister Jude um, mentions to uh, um, Lana. Is it? Is that what her character's name is? Yeah. Sorry, forgive me. Forgive me, listeners. <laughs> um, but she says, "Memories are your worst enemy." She says that. So. Yes. Yes, and we learn what she means by that. Right. As the episode goes on, she's confronted by the ex or, well, the demon. Um, it, it's almost like uh, Lana is um, um, Sister Jude's arch nemesis, you know, it, it, or her antagonist. It, it's something maybe, what is it about Lana that makes Sister Jude completely want to uh, um, attack her or go after her? Like, there, there's something about Lana specifically, it seems that really pushes her to go the extra mile to do something like electroshock therapy. Right. Well, yeah, she clearly has some reason she wants to break Lana and seems right. to think she kind of accomplishes that by the end of this episode in particular. True. Um, and I have my theory of why. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, I'm excited to talk about that when we get to, to the end here in a little bit. But yeah, definitely a disturbing electroshock scene. Jude calls it uh, that she she says she sees electroshock as just another tool in God's tool chest. Um. And so we see basically Lana writhing on this gurney. And then pretty painful. With which actually is also the moment that we finally get introduced to Zachary Quinto's character. Right. So we jump to Dr. Threadson, played by Zachary Quinto, who is um psychoanalyzing Kit, played by Evan Peters, who uh is the one who they think is bloody face, and who allegedly uh, skinned his wife and, and and some other ladies. Oh yeah, and totally decapitated her. And so what Dr. Quinto well, sorry, Dr. Threadson <laughs> diagnosis <laughs> is that uh, Kit, or Kit was purging it was like some psychological purging of racial guilt is what he says due to illegal coupling because his wife his wife that no one knew they were married was african-american and so that was a taboo at that point in time so it was like his subconscious was acting out from engaging in this taboo i guess is what they determined and threadson listens to his whole kit's whole spiel about being abducted by aliens and essentially says at the end that kit is insane diagnosis right. insanity um so we get a little bit of this i mean what was your first impression of dr threadson my, I, this like literally what I wrote down was Zachary Quinto seems to be the voice of the writers or the voice of reason, the voice of modern times. You know, looking at like it, this is 1964. How dare do you use uh, um, electroshock therapy? You know, we need to scientifically investigate this more before we uh, diagnose anything. I absolutely agree. And you know what I wrote down is. The difference between season the season one of American Horror Story and this season so far is that season one I felt was more relatable initially because we had a family and they were dealing with very human issues, but then they were confronted by this extra, you know, this paranormal stuff, and we were able to relate to them a little bit more. Um, 
But in this season, we have essentially uh, crazy people in a crazy environment. And so you're, it's hard. To, I mean, it's less relatable because you don't know who is sane and who's not. I guess Alana, we, we assume to be insane. Or sorry, we assume to be sane. So yeah. she's kind of our little bit of a grounding. But I feel like um, Dr. Right. Threadson here is our is our primary grounding. Like you said, grounding, the voice right. of reason. He's the one who's going to kind of um, be our, our clear Kind of mind. unconscious guide, yeah. Yeah, he's going to be our clear mind guiding us through as we continue. Mm-hmm. Um, so I agree with you. I felt the same way. And I think that that only continued to show itself as, obviously, he starts talking with Sister Jude about um, malpractice and the terrible conditions, the barbaric conditions he's noticed, and behavior. Like, he, he, you know, he says, you know, these days we use behavior modification and stuff. So he's basically... Um, condemning their their outdated practices. Right. He 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 comes across clearly as a very modern psych, uh, psychiatrist who wants to deal with things in a modern science world. Right. But Sister Jude points out that he's only there. His only function is to psychoanalyze Kit, and so right. he he has no right to be you know saying anything about these other people. Well, obviously he gets engaged in another case immediately, pretty much, which we'll go into in a second. But first, before we get there, I want to comment on a scene in which. Sister Eunice is feeding the Rasper things outside. Right. And, absolutely. Let's talk ha- about this. And we have a super creepy... Well, let's let's go ahead and say that Dr. Arden was fucking creepy throughout this entire episode. He was... He is a lerpy-ass guy. Now, I thought he was a little bit... Uh, I mean, he was a little bit off-putting in episode one, but he was terrifying in this episode. Um but he gets us this thing where she's feeding, so she's feeding these rasper things, and she's asking them all sorts of questions about what they are. And he says that you know she'll find out in due time or whatever. And then he asks her to eat his candy apple, which is just hello Snow White, hello. <laughs> yeah, like could that be much more obvious? But they also made it like weirdly sensual too, so it was kind of uncomfortable. But he right. sticks and and also very very uh, foreshadowing of. Clearly, what happens later in the episode exactly. with her character, but I agree. Very, we we learned a lot about his character. We learned about her character, but we learned more about his character. I think in that scene. Oh yeah, he has closets and closets and basements full of skeletons. And skeletons, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so um, okay, so now that we've defined that scene. Um, let's jump to Sister Jude is sitting in a room with some parents who are explaining a situation when Dr. Threadson bursts in and basically says that he wants to, it seems like what he really wants to do is just make sure that Sister Jude does not misdirect any newly committed patients. He wants to have a say and bring his modern psychological theories to the forefront. Exactly. And as an audience member, when he bursts in, I'm like, oh, thank God, someone that's going to be reasonable and sound minded with, uh, with this situation. Right. Mm -hmm. And so... (laughs) <laughs> little these, does he know what he's getting himself into <laughs> these parents are committing their son who they say first the first thing we hear about him is that he's a chronic masturbator chronic masturbator and then we hear he's 17 and then we decide well that's everyone <laughs> <laughs> until we learn that until we see this cutscene where he is eating is it the heart of a cow I, I missed what animal it was that he tears apart I thought it was a horse is it a horse but... okay so he tears apart the horse in the barn and eats its heart and we see a cutscene of this and apparently he's speaking in tongues. They think he has demons inside of him. We learn that he is possessed. And so we go to see this kid, and he's twitching and has this deep demonic voice. He's strapped to the bed and everything like that. Um, 
Very creepy. Very creepy. Well done. I'm um, a sucker for the exorcism stories. So oh, I thought I, I, I was feeling it. I I thought this plotline was really well done because I was kind of initially I thought it was very tangential and I was like, oh man, we're just going to go off in some other direction when we have all this alien shit going on and we have these right. raspers this and is... everything like that. But I could see at the end they seem to be tying it together more, which. Um, I think is a good thing because if we have too many threads going in different directions, it's just going to be a mess. Lost right, style. Yeah. Exactly. That, that, I think that storyline served two purposes, which I believe you're about to um, lead into, which one of them is we reveal a lot about uh, Dr. Threadson and what who his character is, but more so we learn a whole buttload about Sister Jude and her background. We do. We do learn a ton about Sister Jude. But first, I want to hit on. Um, so we basically know that they're going to call a exorcist, and of course, Doctor Threatson thinks this is so antiquated and everything like that. So we're waiting in anticipation for this exorcist to show up. In the meantime, there's a scene in the bathing room where we see some more ass, which seems to be for some reason a theme in this show. You need to see at least three butts in every episode, apparently. Maybe that's how we should rate our episodes: is in butts. How many butts? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I give this five butts out of six butts, or eight butts out of ten butts, or cheeks out of butts. So we see Grace's butt, who is becoming uh, one of our most commonly seen butts, and she is (laughs) discussing a potential escape plan with Lana. Lana seems to think that the tunnel that Eunice showed her in the beginning that she sneaks out to feed these raspers through, she seems to think they can escape through there. So she wants Grace to come with her, and Grace says, well, I won't come unless Kit's coming. And Lana seems pretty convinced that Kit is bloody face and does not want him out wreaking havoc on the world. Which my notes are, Grace is really attached to Kit. She wants to take Kit no matter what. And I'm curious why, but continue. Yeah, she still seems very convinced also that he's not a killer for some reason, which right. I don't know if that's why pure Why is she so attached to him? Why? Or, or does she know who the real bloody face is? Maybe that's True. a question we should be asking. Um, but so then Lana says something about... Uh, being hurt by the, you know, being betrayed by the person who loved you most. And we kind of see that she, find, I didn't, I don't know if I really understood that she knew this in the first episode, but now we know that she, she understands that basically she was committed by her, her girlfriend. Um, did Sister Jude point this out in the first episode? I don't remember that. I, I don't think, I don't remember. So I don't know how she came to know this, but anyway, this is clearly uh, very devastating. To her, but anyway, she still wants to escape. So her and Grace plan to plan an escape whenever they get an opportunity. Um, from there, we see well, which well, I'm so, to just bring it back before. It, it, so it was in the the scene where they're in that room that plays that song continuously, where uh, Lana or Lana overhears uh, Kit and Grace discussing why he basically effed up in his previous situation with Jude and the doctor and how she's like, you should have played it crazy. You should have played it crazy. I gave you your out. I gave you your out. They should have thrown shit and stuff. Cause she says if he's played, you know, if he's crazy, then he'll be declared insane. I assume. And then not be sent. He can to move on somehow. Right. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Um, then we see the scene where, okay. So when sister Eunice was chewing on, Arden's candy apple in the yard. We see that Chloe Sevigny, the nymphomaniac. Uh, What's her character's yes. name? Do you remember uh, her character's name? I don't remember. The sex girl is all the nympho. Like, the nymphomaniac sees Chloe out the window. Sevigny. She sees out the window that Doctor Arden is flirting with Sister Eunice. So she 
hits on Dr. Arden. And, well, hits on her. God, she throws herself on top of them and begs to be taken outside to see the sun and have sex for 15 minutes. Um, and he calls her a whore and throws her off. And this clearly upsets her. Um, and she she basically brings up the stuff standard. We go into the story about how she was masturbating at five. And her mother made her wear mittens, which I thought was a weird that, It was detail. so graphic for a TV show or I don't know. I was I was pretty like, right, whoa. and she so she ran off with like a, like traveling jazz players, a jazz player, yeah. And she gets yeah. married, but then he has sex with all these different people. But she has to stay home and clean, so she gets back at him by having a threesome when he gets home, and then he throws her into an insane asylum. And so it's this big whole thing about double standards and stuff. This was a little bit Absolutely. too. This was another one of those scenes that was it was very it was a little bit contrived for me, like. It seemed like she was going into all this exposition for no real reason other than for the viewers to hear her backstory. Well, that's what I'm curious about. Is, is it, Does that mean that she's going to be a major player later on? Is that why we need to know about her? Or was the whole purpose of that for us to learn more about the doctor who doesn't like slutty girls and wants that pristine, prude nun to be, which obviously we learn later on that he does enjoy that. Um, however, I, I, I did find it interesting with that, with Chloe Savini's character, that she, all she, her, her demand was, all I want is 15 minutes of sun. I just want to go outside. Just give me five minutes of sun at the end. Right. And I, I'm curious what that, I mean, what that really means. Like, she would do anything to be outside. Right. It seemed to me that the sex really had nothing. That was just a tool she was using to get out outside. Right. Which um, you mentioned earlier that it was a, um, that it was the double standard, you know. Obviously, like men can do, and she mentions that men can do this all the time. Why can't I? Which is one of those progressive, uh, uh, well, progressive for 1960s (laughs) ideals that uh, uh, these days, you know, thanks to shows and stuff like Sex in the City, isn't as big of a deal. Right, right, exactly. Um, But I don't know. It it was very, it was very, uh, it was almost feminism. Again, another feminism or feminist showing. See, I couldn't help but feel like this scene was in some ways trying to teach us, like, teach us another lesson, another social lesson about time in this period and double standards. That's a good point. Um, But for, like, when you were saying, are we learning more about her? Are we learning more about Arden? I kind of feel like maybe we're learning more about Arden. And the reason being, I, I somehow have a hunch that, the nymphomaniac is going to die sometime. I mean, not too far into this season. I don't know why. I think you're right, but it just seems like her character. I get just get the feeling she's being set up to be killed. I mean, this is a just like Clay Duval. Oh, <laughs> right. Well, this is a bloody face is a killer, like a killer of women. Woman, you know. Um, and we have a, a, a nymphomaniac, quote unquote. That's on the loose, so or out there, you know. If, if this is who he targets, this is it, right? And so I can't. I just feel like we're seeing this coming. But what we learn about Arden is that he does not. He thinks she's a filthy creature. He wants something more pure, which we we uh, see as the episode goes on. So now let's go back to the exorcism. We Thank have, God! Here we go. We have the wheel. The the exorcist show up in a wheelchair, and. uh the threads and confronts the Monsignor and says, you know, so, you know, like I'm not going to stand by while this happens or something. He says, well, of course not. You're going to be a part of it. You're going to be holding this guy down. Essentially. You are the certified physician that's going to be here to be a part of this because apparently they need that. 
Exactly. And so they go up, yeah, for the exorcism. So they right. go up to the room where this, I think his name is Jed. This kid Jed is strapped to a bed. And um, they basically, they send out Sister Jude because she's a woman. Um, okay. Yeah, I want to talk about this. So, like, the, my whole, this is where my theory comes in about Jude and Lana, or Lana. She, Jude is all about this, isn't she? She wants to be there. She is like, let's do this exorcism. This is what needs to happen. Forget modern medicine. This kid needs Jesus, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And she's there for it, and the guy in the wheelchair comes out, the fathers, the, you know, all the, yeah, the whole Catholic family is there. And what happens? They say, okay, woman, it's time for you to leave. This is a man's job now. And she's like, uh-uh. I'm stronger, stronger than, than you, think. you think. Exactly. Which, like, even though she's somewhat villainous, myself, I'm like, yeah, you come on, girl. You go, girl. All right. But... That is exactly what Lana is too. They are the same person in a way, and that's what's kind of getting me about their their the dynamic between those two. Lana is a feminist, so is Jude, but completely different ways. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Jude wants to do it with, for power, and Lana wants to do it, I think, for women's rights. It is definitely an interesting dynamic because, in some ways, you see Jude be submissive to you know the Monsignor and everything, and like. She abides. Right, and she clearly is uh, ultra horny. True that. Yeah. Which we learn about what, what you're about to get into, I'm sure. Right, so basically we have this demon that is a, a pretty awesome scenes where the demon is like freaking out in the bed and they're trying to, you know, the... Very reminiscent of The Exorcist, absolutely. Right, and so... Like, scar on the face, even. Right, oh man. And so Threadson is holding him down, and the demon says something to Threadson that's like, look at what I gave you, then you... Like, something about, like, I gave you this, and then you gave it up? No. Right. Clearly, I I guess we don't know what he's referring to yet, obviously, because we just met this character. But uh, it's coming, becoming quite clear that all of these characters have seek, dark secrets of one kind or another. And so I guess we're getting hinted at Dr. Threadson's secret, which will only continue to come out. But just immediately after that, the exorcist himself is thrown against a wall and is taken to the infirmary. So all that's left is Threadson and then basically the... Monson, well, no, Threadson leaves. And the Monson, Threadson, I think, takes the exorcist to the infirmary the monsignor goes and gets jude to come and like babysit the demon while i guess he goes and checks on the exorcist uh i i I don't remember i think threadson for one reason or another they invite jude up to watch the the, basically the demon settled down he comes in to watch him alone but then as soon as she gets in there he starts like and she's by herself he starts freaking out and his eyes start bleeding she goes in to wipe him off and then he transforms into the demon again which starts i I write i wrote down jude has sympathy who would have thought yeah yeah she goes in to comfort him and then he starts taunting her for being a woman and he calls her the hump he says you were the hump of the town and so we get a little bit of flashback and we see her basically um desperate for for companionship she 
is singing at this nightclub, and then she's in red, in red, and she's just she's begging to to dance with somebody, and she's dancing with this. It's like a sailor, I think, or something like that. Yeah, a soldier. And actually, this is what I wanted to ask you, Tyler, because I I, I did not catch on quickly, or I, I couldn't hear it because I don't have DVR. But um, he asks, she says, like, take me home or something. And he says, I can't, dot, dot, dot. And I didn't know what was said. Now, what I heard is he said, the baby's at home sleeping. Uh, okay. I mean, I, I, I heard baby. He could have said lady. But essentially, I think what we're supposed to realize is that he has a family of some kind. He has someone waiting for him at home. A real life. And right. she's and older. So- yeah, yeah. So she was just a few minutes on the dance floor where she wanted some real connection. And so she, once again, she's lost. She gets trashed. She gets drunk. And basically, the demon tells her story. We find out that she was driving home drunk. Oh, and, here we go. And, oh, boy. Yeah. And, and hit a girl, a young girl, a with kid, a car. Yeah. A young kid, all dressed in blue. Now, I'm wondering what the color thing Ooh. we have going on here is because... That's a good note. I didn't notice that. Because obviously we have Sister Jude wearing red throughout right. this whole thing. And red then was we a have, big color last season as well. Yes. And then we have this girl wearing blue when she sat by the car. We find out that Sister Jude just hit her, didn't know what to do, and, and basically left her there to die. Um, one thing I do want to make a note of, when the teacher at the beginning, Lana's girlfriend, was murdered, she was wearing all blue as well. I don't know if that's a connection, but oh, we have like very good, no, very dang. very vivid colors here, and so I don't know if blue is representing innocence here, and red is representing people with a sordid past a little bit more. Right. That that's a good that's a good um, note. Well so done, Tyler so we're playing well a little bit of uh, of colors here, but um. So basically, Jude gets so frustrated that basically that the demon brought this memory up that she goes in and starts like smacking the demon around and <laughs> threads it in the Monsignor have to run in and um, pull her off, basically. Right. I do remember one everything exactly that you just said, I, I, I definitely noted. But one, one other thing was he says, you're smart, but you have no power. Right, right. He does and say like, that. And so... That's the feminist thing. I mm-hmm. think that that's the quintessential right. So we're the 60s. we're right. Smart so, person, no power. So this woman's rights thing is clearly going to continue. And even though she has as much power as she could possibly have for a person of her position, and I mean that's kind of the way. That, if you think about it, the way the Catholic Church works, is you can rise up to the highest amount of power a nun can possibly work up to. But no matter what, there is always going to be a man above you. Very good point. Very good and point. And so what, that's a very interesting that she chose to, being a feminist, she chose to enter into this basically form of hierarchy in which she is always going to be below some other man. Exactly. Yeah. Which I guess in another way she was below men literally in her past life. So True. She's being dominated, one, one way or another she's being dominated by men in the past and the present. And she is not happy about that. She wants to dictate her own life is what yep. we're getting. Uh, right. Um, There's a lot of women like this in this show. I mean, it's Sister Jude, it's uh, the Lana. Chloe Savini character, and it's Lana, Alana, and it's uh, even um, the younger... Um, Grace. Grace. Like, she, she's one of those ones that's harboring her... Uh, independence. She's like, oh, I could never do it. Sister Jude would be upset if I ate this apple. You know? Yeah, yeah. Oh, you, Eunice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Eunice. Yeah. It, it's moments like that where there's a lot of 
either closeted strong women or out there strong women and and grace obviously too but we don't know grace's story yet but anyway a lot of very strong independent women in this uh series so far absolutely with lots of different motives (laughs) right exactly um, but let's leave behind the exorcism for a minute. We'll go back to it in one second. But during this time, we flash back and forth to a very disturbing scene going on at the house of Dr. Arden. Oh, dear. Uh, he, we see him setting the table. He's having a dinner guest. We're thinking maybe it's his sister Eunice. He opens the door, and no, it is some young blonde woman we've never seen before. Very, we very quick, pretty. Very pretty. We very quickly learn that it is a hooker. Uh, which, is, <laughs> which is interesting because he just went on this whole rant about how he hates whores. Right. Yet he's having a hooker over for dinner. Um, and she's kind of surprised by this whole formal setup because he has her sitting down. He has the classical music going. He has this whole spiel about how much he loves Chopin. He pours her this Cabernet Sauvignon that is finer than any she's ever tasted before. He wants to have like this sophisticated, pure dinner evening with a classy woman. And then she starts talking dirty and he is not into that at all. Right, I, and, pure pure is the best word you like. That is spot on exactly what he's looking for. Before we go into what happens, but that like for that dinner and that date, a hundred percent, you're spot on. Like that's exactly what I got out of it. He wants this pure, innocent, classy lady date, who he wants to then dominate. It seems, right. but he he so she's like clearly the hooker here is is very uncomfortable with the situation. It's not what she's used to, I assume, and so she she makes some comment about it. And he says that he finds the anticipation erotic, um, and basically gets pretty pissed off at her when she sort of insinuates that they should go into the room right now and get going. Um, he has a envelope full of money for her on the plate. And she gets up and, like, says... Clearly, she's acting out of being uncomfortable because she doesn't want to be sitting having dinner with him or whatever. She's like, should I dance for you? And and he kind of pulls up a knife... Pulls this knife out and, like... Basically, he's threatening her to sit back down. And he starts, like, carving this roast. And it is definitely very clearly foreshadowing that he has some sort of sadomasochist tendencies so um of course this time we're flashing back and forth between stuff that's going on with the exorcism but let's jump ahead to the end of his story here well not the end of his story but but where this this story is going with the hooker so he makes her go into the bathroom and dress up as a nun a nun like come on so is it clearly what he is trying to in a sense what he's attracted to in Sister Eunice is her dumb innocence. And so right. this is this girl's going to be her stand-in for the night or whatever. So he's like waiting outside the door saying, hurry the f- hell up. I want to get you out here. And she happens to be changing. And for some reason, there's a little wood box in the bathroom. That what she a nosy, decides, nosy ass girl. That she decides <laughs> she's going to open up and contains very disturbing photos of what appears to be Dr. Arden's past exploits with women, which include women bound and gagged. Very um, disturbing. It was very disturbing. Very disturbing. And when he when she was getting to the end of those photos, did we see, like, mutilated women? Were they dead? I mean, I... Oh, I, I don't know if I looked closely We enough. flashed them very quickly, <laughs> but at least we saw these women that were bound and gagged. And, and She was very disturbed, outraged, scared. It was scary. Terrified. Well, I mean, clearly enough to freak 
freak her out sincerely. Yeah. And also, come on, Arden, that's the dumbest place ever is to keep your your yeah. secret photos in a hey, wood box Musk, in the good bathroom. Good point. Good point. What are you doing, Doctor? <laughs> come on, you really keeping it in a box? Come on. But she freaks out, knocks all the photos on the floor. He hears it, busts in, and gets very angry at her for. Um, Getting into his personal stuff. So he pretty much drags her into the bedroom and says, let's get going. Starts to climb on. He's like undoing his pants and starts to climb on top of her. And she bites him really hard in the shoulder, knees him in the balls and runs out of the room. So he's kind of on the floor. Get out of there, girl. He was pretty much owned in that that, uh, a couple seconds there. And By the way, that, that's the creepiest I've ever seen um, uh, James Cromwell ever. Like, grabbing his crotch, like, approaching a young girl. It, that was that was disturbing for me. <laughs> oh, he was gross. He was gross. That was some, some good acting on his part. Um, but she gets away, which was definitely a surprise. I thought we were going to see her killed, too. Um, I did, too. Yeah. One thing I want to note here, though, is so are we getting, like, uh, between the, him cutting the roast with the knife and the pictures... And kind of some comments he makes about there being a killer of women on the loose. It makes it seem like he's hinting at himself being bloody face. 100% agree. My it, buddy Mike is here and we and he's watched and he said the same thing. But does that seem too obvious? It almost seems too obvious. And so, Oh, it, yeah. It's clearly too obvious. Like it's meant to throw something in our face to assume that it might not be uh, Evan Peters' character. It's going to be someone else. Or maybe it's meant to throw us off the trail of Evan Peters, and then Evan Peters will actually eventually be it in the end. Who knows? But what we know is it's not who we think it is. Well, and I want to say between basically James Cromwell, Dr. Arden, and all this killer of women talk and everything, does this remind – I mean, did you read the Girl with the Dragon Tattoo books or see the first movie or anything like that? Yeah, this is like yes. very, very similar plot – I mean, similar de- there. You're delving deep into a family, essentially, and finding out who everyone actually is. Well, and just as a major theme, too, we have this theme of women being murdered and being put down, if not physically, then psychologically, and right. through if we, bureaucracy. <laughs> I mean... If we find out they're done by Bible verses, then we know. <laughs> plagiarism it's just It's just ripped straight from the book, yeah. yeah. Um, but surprisingly, she gets away. And so, anyway... Right. That whole scene was very gross and disturbing. Right. Now, so, back to the exorcism. We see, basically, the kid is still freaking out. We have Dr. Threadson back in there. He, like, injects the kid with some sort of serum. And we have the Monsignor, like, I don't know if he had a cross or something like that, but, like, waving it in the kid's face. And the demon is continuing to yell at people. And then the sister Eunice walks in the door. He, the demon kid, locks eyes with Sister Eunice, and she, he, just like collapses, dead, and she passes out immediately, which is clearly a transfer of demon from him to her because they immediately determine that he is, in fact, he is dead. Exactly. We. That's exactly what I wrote, wrote down. Like, did the, does the does Sister Nun have the demon now? Possessed? Yes. <laughs> And so, basically what happens right after this is that Dr. Arden, we see now two, uh, we see Dr. Arden come in and um, basically he sneaks up on Sister Eunice while she's asleep and her, too much of her leg is showing. And so he reaches out and he pulls her, her skirt down because he wants her to remain pure or whatever. And she wakes up and he says, oh, I, you know, you're showing too much skin. And she, she says, oh, I'm sorry. And there's something but a little she- bit different about her. 
Exactly, exactly. We're she's, like, is this the regular sister Eunice or is it not? She's seeming a lot less innocent. Um, she kind of has her shirt a little bit open and he clearly is a little bit tempted. And so he, he mumbles something about not being able to see her in this state and kind of stumbles out of the room. And basically she... Like, we see this scene where she lies back down with, like, the blanket she'd pulled up to cover herself after he mentioned something. She lies back down, rips the blanket off. So... Yeah. And the cross on the wall moves. So clearly she she's possessed. She she's meant possessed. to seduce him. Which so, I'm so excited about. That's so this is so going to be a clash of uh, psycho women hater doctor versus demon. So I think this is going to be quite I a show. I cannot wait. Yeah. And this seems like what we have coming in next episode. Um, I can't believe that was that happened in, in episode two. Like episode two, we already have like the nice, sweet, innocent nun that we thought might be a heroine of some sort is now possessed by a demon and is going to kick some ass. Clearly, they have a lot they're going to try to jam into this season. Um, so basically, all the, all the kind of pre- previews for the next episode show... Sister she's being a demon. Yeah. yeah, and so that's what we have coming, and that'll be the showdown of the century. Right. It certainly seems like um, one thing now that we haven't covered exactly. is the escape plan. The three amigos. Well, the two I amigos necessarily... and one latcheroner. Well, I think amigos is certainly not the right word. <laughs> we see quite quickly the two for some reason and one lingerer. Right when when the demon dies. The power in the whole uh, asylum is shut down. And for some and reason... Is, in this scene, I write cinematography, lights out, flashing co- red color. The camera pulls away down the hallway. Slowly. I wrote beautiful. that down, that shot, too. That was Ugh. a really well-shot scene where we Incredible. see all the doors open and the red light is glowing. Also, though, what kind of insane asylum, what kind of terrible security is it <laughs> that when the power goes out, all the doors open? Very good that, point. Very good point. Very good point, Tyler. This uh, seems to be well an issue with <laughs> the engineering of the insane asylum. But hey, I mean, it was the 1960s. I mean, 1964, maybe. I don't know. I don't maybe know. they were stoned or something. <laughs> but all the doors open when the demon dies because the demon, like, basically the shockwave goes through the whole place. Yeah. The power goes out. The doors open, and the demon is a clap on, or actually, it's a clap off. <laughs> exactly and so lana looks at grace and they say okay this is our chance to go for it they head Let's for do it they head for the exit and just as they're about to go through the secret tunnel who shows up but kit he wants to come too. lana will not have it she is convinced that he's a killer of women even though grace is insisting that kit come too. were you weirded out by the fact that kit showed up at that point that seemed very very coincidental I well, he clearly knew that they were going to be trying to escape. I That's mean, he right because he grabbed the note earlier. He'd stolen the note when they were. She was right because she right. was having trouble with her memory now that she's had electroshock therapy. So she had to write down where the tunnel was, and That's so right. he probably was just trying to escape on his own and happened to run into them there too because now he knew where the escape route was. And yeah, but, what happened though? So he runs into them and Grace says, "Okay, well, if we can't go with you, we'll find our own way out a different way." So they're about to turn around and run for it, and. Fucking Lana decides that instead of escaping herself and getting out of there, she's going to sacrifice her own escape to yell for the guards to make sure that Kit is captured. So that way the killer woman that she is convinced is the killer woman is not released back out into the world. Right. Letting, letting, like, trying to trap Kit 
in that situation when she started screaming out what was happening, I wrote in capital letters, apostrophe, uh, sorry, exclamation points, why? Like, well, this is your chance to get out. And and I think this does. What do you think? Well, and clearly she is a, a feminist, as we have used to discuss before. Um, and is i'm sure being a feminist certainly has no sympathy for a killer of of women and i don't know why she's so quick to indict him right i i, I just in her mind yeah uh, i i just wrote sarah no oh i wrote sarah because i don't remember her name lana lana whatever yeah. anyway sarah paulson <laughs> she doesn't trust trust uh kit oh i almost said a anatomy word kit but Grace tries to escape with Kit, and Sarah's screaming out, but why? Is it because she wants to save face? Because she earlier overheard uh, Kit and Grace discussing about the actual way to get out of there? Remember that? Like, right, yeah. Playing the crazy so you can get out? Is that why she did that? Or is it because she's standing up for women or just standing up for against a murderer, like you said, uh to she would rather stay in in the in the in, uh, asylum because a her lover um, um, uh, betrayed her and on top of that she doesn't want to lose a potential in our eyes serial killer on the loose exactly what is well, it? She, she clearly think whatever it is she clearly thinks she's making some sort of sacrifice to save women in general to save the <laughs> the population outside of the prison and so she's bawling at this point and gets the death star of the century from grace and they're hauled off to <clears throat> sister jude's office um so so before Grace and Kit are brought in, Lana's sitting there with Sister Jude and is fully expecting to be punished for trying to escape. But instead, Sister Jude says, oh, no, you're not going to be punished. I'm going to reward you for, for basically deciding you're not going to escape and instead turning them in. So what that she does is... That was such an awkward, crazy position. <laughs> so she brings in Kit and Grace and tells Lana that she's going to pick the cane that Sister Jude is going to beat them with, essentially. <laughs> And so they're at this point. Grace and Kit are pretty much hating Lana, especially Grace, who trusted her. Um, and so Sister Jude's about to start thwacking both of them when Kit stands up and says, "It was not Grace's fault at all. It was all my fault." So he sticks back up for her. So they're just only further cementing their relationship there. So instead of each of them getting 20 lashes, he gets 40 lashes. And we kind of see that starting, and that's pretty much where... We see a lot more butts again. Yeah, we, we do. Once again, we see Grace's butt, and we see Kit's... He vouches for Grace. And that's kind of where the episode ends, is on an right. ass-smacking. So what are your thoughts on the uh, upcoming episode? Clearly, I, at least in my eyes, we... As you said earlier, we see that Sister Eunice is possessed. We see Sister Eunice showdown. We see some shots of Dr. Arden looking a little bit um, anxiety-filled. Now, I don't know if this is because the horror ran off and told someone what he had tried to do, or maybe Sister Eunice slash Demon is coming for him. One way or another, he seems a little bit frightened, which seems like it'll be an interesting dynamic. Um... Zachary Quinto is still there. It seems like he will still continue to be. The I'm voice excited, of right? I'm excited about his character. I I, I like him because he, as opposed to last season, it comes across as the reasonable uh, 
character who can talk to us real talk, real time, in present tense. Right, exactly. What I will say about my expectations for the next episode is I'm excited for it because I feel like we're finally going to have an episode where the stage is already set. We already know what's going to happen. We won't have all this exposition that needs to be built up. We will be able to dive into the action pretty immediately. I agree. That's actually better than what I said. Yes. So, I mean, and I think, I think that in my opinion, this episode that we just watched, episode two was better than the first episode because it had even less of that, um, even though it still had some. And I'm hoping episode three will continue to be even better because as time goes on and we know their stories, we don't have to spend as much time setting the scene and we can spend more time in the moment. True. True. I, I'm so much more excited now that I know some of uh, Sister Jude's background as well. That she did not used to be a nun for her whole life. That she has this background of being a lost soul, essentially. And murder, basically haunting and her as murder. well. She, yeah, everyone has a dark past. I love that. Congratulations, Brad and Ryan. <laughs> so the only dark past we're not really aware of at this point is... Well, the Monsignor, I feel like we don't know much about at all yet. No. Zachary um, Quinto, we don't know much. We, Zachary Quinto has a secret that we're going to learn more about. So I'm assuming we'll focus more on those characters in time to come. One other thing I wanted to mention is I saw a press release today that Dylan McDermott just signed on to do some more episodes this season. That's right. I so, saw that too. For so, his, like, so his ass will be back because that was what he was... Uh, well known for in the first literally season. his ass <laughs> <laughs> exactly so so and that would be for uh, everyone who remembers that was the dad in the first season um who kind of moved the family to los angeles to begin with so he will be one returning of, as well right one of the most annoying characters last season but also a pivotal character and well done regardless. i would say yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly yeah. yeah so that'll be fun to see how he plays into it but i'm yeah definitely excited for this upcoming episode so if you had to rate this episode now, I don't know if we want to rate it in asses or if we want to say we're rating this in puddles of blood or maybe in rubber men or severed heads. <laughs> How many? Okay, I, let's go ahead and say we're let's rate in rubber men. If Ooh. out of five rubber men, how many rubber men would you give this episode? I would give this a. Mm, a uh, ooh, ooh, mm. Okay, so I'm going to rate this as a an episode based on uh, a piece in a puzzle in a whole series. So not on its own, but assuming that I know where it's going to go, I would give this a three and a half rubber mm. man suit. I think that's a good score. I think that's a good score. I think I'm going to be slightly harsher than you because because I want I think there's a lot of room for improvement and I want there to be that space up there in the uh, rubber man spectrum. And so I'm going to go ahead and say I'm going to talk first about I'm going to say last episode because of the slow exposition and everything like that and how we we're mostly story building not that much scary stuff going on. I'm going to give that two two and a half rubber men and I'm going to give this episode three rubber men. And I think as the season goes on, we will see hopefully a four, four and a half. Let's let's keep our fingers crossed for a five. Robert I agree. If I, and that is one of my biggest issues. Like I haven't really been scared yet. I've been a little spooked, but I haven't been scared. And if I want to be scared, I would have loved a little more focus on the exorcism. And the exorcism could have been used just as uh, well with the exposition on the two characters that we were looking for. But 
as it stood, it was a little shortchanged, I think. Exactly. And I thought the Dr. Arden stuff was really spooky, too. I think it was what made it not as scary is cutting it with the escape of Lena. Right. uh, It really sells it short. Like, if you had, and I know that there's a lot of plot lines happening, and that's important to move every narrative along. But there was the two strong, scariest lines were the exorcism. That revealed a lot about Sister Unit, or sorry, excuse Jude. me, Sister Jude, and then uh, the Doctor Arden, mm-hmm. his his storyline with the prostitute. Like those were the two scariest, spookiest lines that could have been moved, that could have been uh, at least extrapolated a little more. Exactly, could have been expanded upon, but I do think they were definitely an improvement upon uh, episode one. And I, I agree. I, I'm looking forward to next week because I think we're going to focus on possessed Sister Eunice, and I think it is going to be. Awesome. So let's exactly. let uh, stay tuned for that. Of course, we will be reviewing that immediately after next week's episode, as always. Um, so unless you have anything else to say, I would say that's a wrap. Um, thank you, everyone, for uh, wasting the past 55 <laughs> minutes with us. Uh, once again, my name is Tyler Moss. Uh, you can always see our podcast and all of our stuff posted up at thisamericanhorrorstory.com. You can email your comments or questions to us at thisamericanhorrorstory at gmail.com. You can follow us, well, you can like us on Facebook, please do, at This American Horror Story Podcast. Um, so please come like us on Facebook. We'll post keep posting new information as it comes out. And you can like us, or well, subscribe to us on iTunes. And please leave us a, a review, if positive, negative. Let's just get something up there. I don't care. Be interested. We'd love to, your to read your comments. Yeah, a, I would say a negative fan is better than no fans at all. So I'll, I'll keep my fingers crossed and look forward to that. As always, you can follow me on Twitter at tjmoss11. And Chris, where can we follow you? And you can follow me on Twitter at, at Chris Husted. That's at uh, with a K R I S H U S T E D. Okay, thank you very much. And for now, that is this American Horror Story podcast signing off. Uh, until next week, horror fans. <laughs>